Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodwich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's glad somebody's finally doing buyout life right, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Gerald, just to confirm, uh, you are talking about Roll Tie, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, my, my guy going straight to Thailand before he comes to replace Bill O'Brien, not the buyout that you and I are to receive. Not to spoil our leading story here, but um, just making sure I'm catching your, your setup joke is uh, is a KK, not a, not a KC, a GG. <laughs> no, not at all. I can print out the email, though, and like send you like send you half of it if you want. Uh, if you want the top half, bottom half, left, right, you let me know. Um, so some news off the top. If you follow us on Twitter, you're aware of this. But if you don't, uh, then we've got some sad news for you to open up with. Uh, in midst of all of Vox Media's downsizing or right-sizing, as they call it now, which is gross, in midst of all of the changes there, they laid off about 7% of their employee base. And unfortunately, Kyle and I and our podcast were a among the the victims of that uh, downsize. So uh, we don't have a ton of information for you right now. We're still waiting to hear and get some information from the folks uh, at Vox as far as what uh, it means for the future. We do know a couple of things. The podcast in its current form is going to continue through February 28th on this current podcast feed. Uh, full disclosure, Vox currently uh, has control of the name and kind of the podcast feed itself. So that's really what we're waiting for information on is whether or not we need to come up with a new name or if we get to keep our old stuff. So we'll let you know as soon as we know, you will know as well. But with all of that, the good news is Kyle, the good news, we ain't done yet. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't going nowhere. Gerald, why is that? We can't be stopped now because it's bad boys for life. We can't be stopped because we are in fact bad boys for life. Um, the artist formerly known as Sean Combs. Um, we, we are not, we can't be stopped. We existed pre-Vox Media. If any of our OG listeners who, uh, who listened to us when we were the Longhorn Republic, an, an independent entity, um, and then the past four or some years, when we were the Longhorn Republic, a Burn Orange Nation podcast, you probably noticed a name change at some point in there on your RSS feed. Um, you'll, if we can, if we can have it our way, you might just see a name change and, you know, you'll keep the RSS feed. If not, we'll come with some instructions. We'll, we'll, we'll you know, give you all the ways promise we want it to, uh, to continue to follow us wherever we're heading to. Um, but, but yeah, Gerald and I have too much fun doing this. We enjoy and get too much joy out of our interactions with, with you all, with our listeners, with, you know, the, you tweet at us, you, you send us messages, um, you know, hit us up on other social media. Like that stuff means a lot to us and we enjoy it. Um, it's, it's fun to talk to each other. It's even more fun to know there's people who actually listen to this thing and some of y'all for six odd years. So, um, we said it last week, (laughs) ironically, when we were talking about how grateful we were that your listens had made us a top five, uh, podcast at SB nation. Um, clearly, clearly that doesn't, um, matter much when you're part of the 7% workforce reduction. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we will no longer be affiliated. We're still friends with the, the folks at Burn Orange Nation. We uh, thank Westcott for you know all his help and support. It's no hard feelings on his end. It's literally nothing to do with Burn Orange Nation. They had no say in this. Um, it is purely a um, Jim Bankoff. Um, some people uh, probably on Twitter have been substituting his first initial of his last name with another um, letter like a you know if if it would be uh german you could probably put a v there um you would probably use a a different letter in english but you know um there's there's other creative names for him um he's really really good according to certain reporters at laying people off um axios sarah ferguson thanks for tweeting that out that was really or sarah fisher excuse me that was really meaningful i mean he he is good he is good at laying people off like he's done it now like three times but it's three times in like 10 months um 
Yeah. Okay. Right? Fine. I'll, I'll say it. A, a reporter who's who's seemingly fine. She has forty seven thousand followers. I think she typically covers politics more than or media generally, but. Uh, <clears throat> quote, media leaders and CEOs, if you want to know how to communicate layoffs effectively, Jim Bankoff is a good example. He's always been transparent with staff and public about the number of roles impact, which departments and why. Fox never does drip, drip, drip cuts. Employees always told first. The mentions were hilarious as this came out, like as some people were still asleep uh, on the West Coast when the, when the layoffs were announced and as people were tweeting at her saying, I'm currently refreshing my email to see if it's me. Oh, yep, it's me. Um, so like just, I don't know. Anyways, I don't know if there's a good way to do layoffs. I'm in consulting. I've done human capital consulting where I have to help people right size and it always feels icky and there's nothing great about it. And hopefully you can be human at the end of the day with it. And, it, you know, there is a cost to any business decision. Um, it's weird that all these companies are laying off right before quarterly earnings. And uh, anyways, that's a whole nother uh, conversation, but, um, you know, we will hopefully own the means of production, um, in our, uh, in our future <coughs> podcast endeavors. We'll see. Um, but we will keep you all informed. We're, we will talk more about that on our, our, uh, our stocks trading podcast, dollars, saints and sinners, <laughs> uh, coming to you. Maybe, you know, maybe that's a good name for it, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have more news for you as we know it again. We're still waiting for info from Vox, but, uh, as it comes out, we will let you know, but we're not here to, to just talk about us. We're here to talk about, uh, the people, the athletes that we have covered, uh, and love covering for the last six years or so. Texas basketball just wrapped up. So we'll obviously discuss that game against Oklahoma state real quick. Women's basketball. Basketball climbing up the top 25, continuing with their streak of ranked wins down the 40. A lot of new faces in the football uh, hallways on uh, on campus. So we'll break that down. BOL Longhorns get ready to play for a chance to play for a Super Bowl. So we'll obviously discuss all of the things that are Longhorn adjacent and then close the show out with some Godzilla Tron and some bang the drum. More like Starting Cox. off with yeah, men's basketball, out, huh? Texas falls three spots in the polls uh, after a heartbreaker on the road, but went 2-0 over the last two, a 69-61 to road win in Morgantown on Saturday, and then an 89-75 to win over Oklahoma State. Back-to-back big wins for Texas. One on the road, one, in, one at home. Then we said this on Twitter, but the Big 12 is such a, like, just ball of knives. There's a legit opportunity there's like high likelihood that whoever wins the big 12 is going to end up with four or five losses and so texas picking up both over oklahoma state picking up a win over, over west virginia in this in this way uh, and relatively dominant kind of no doubt fashion at least in oklahoma state was a big deal for the horns yeah, the uh, the West Virginia game was l- probably a little generous with the scoreboard, an eight point win. It felt a lot a uh, lot tighter than that all throughout. Tighter, yeah. It was uh, it was it was tight. It was a game in Morgantown. Those games always seem to be weird. We've we've spoken many times that playing any sporting event in Morgantown feels like a trip to Mars. It's just so far and out there, and the crowd is into it. And yeah, it's always weird there. And it, this this was no different. Um, it was nice to get a respite from having to play former players from last year's team after Jalen Tyson went off, had 12 points and 14 uh, rebounds for Tech last week, and then uh, Trey Mitchell had 12 points and eight uh, eight rebounds against uh, against Texas. So um, nice to get an Oklahoma State team that, to my knowledge, has no Texas players, maybe players from the state of Texas, but <laughs> Texas transfers. Um, but this was a this was a real flip from the first uh, meeting of these two, two weeks ago, when it was 56-46, an absolute like defensive slobber knocker, uh, 12 OSU blocks in that one. Um, and it, it looked like, you know, that we probably have another tight game back in Austin with Oklahoma State came in, I think, the eighth in, in the country in defensive efficiency, and it just did not play out that way. Um, we've talked about it. Like, it doesn't matter if the refs call it you know, loose or tight as long as they call it fair. This one, they, they called a lot of fouls, in, but they called them pretty even. Um, but I, I don't know if that helped or what, but it felt like Texas just uh, got going from deep, and that really carried them all the way through. They could hit shots, and, you know, when Texas, we've said it, can shoot the ball, they could play with anyone in the country. When we look at, like, Oklahoma State, the Oklahoma State game, that was a very um – like Texas shot like 62 from three point range. Like that's not a sustainable business model. Right. And that's part of why they won by 14, but I think holding Oklahoma state to under a third, under 33% of their three pointers is something that they definitely can sustain. Um, 
these last two games are big feathers in my cap as far as the men should go to quarters instead of halves because playing most of that game, most of the second half of both of those games in the bonus and the double bonus is just absolutely ridiculous. And especially when it becomes a ref show, like when refs are calling it tight, it becomes even more evident that like there's no reason for somebody to go Mm -hmm. to the free throw line that, that often. But, um, the big winner, I think for me, obviously Marcus Carr did his, uh, did his due diligence against Oklahoma state, but Brock, the glue guy with 15, 10 in the second half, like big night for the glue guy. But the, the Texas basketball team, um, I feel still uneasy about feeling good about them, but I feel better than I did maybe 10 days ago. Like, I feel like they're finally figuring <laughs> out who they want to be with Rodney Terry. I think Rodney Terry has, has changed some things defensively. That's helping them um, to avoid some of these barn burners. Like we've seen them be in uh, early in the Rodney Terry era. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it's an interesting team in that, you know, you know what it is. It's going to be Marcus Carr. We, I still feel like there is an iteration of this team, and you saw a little flash of it for a few minutes there um, where Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr were both going off. It just didn't happen all game. Carr finished with 21, Hunter finished with five. Um, you know, in, in Hunter had four assists, Carr had five. Like, they, they both kind of handled the ball. But I still feel like there is an iteration. And for that Gonzaga game, I felt like that was what we were going to see, where both of those guards are really firing. But um, what you've kind of seen in, in the stead of the past month has been Timmy Allen stepping up. Um, and this one, he had 17 points, 14 of those in the second half. You don't expect a Brock coming, Cunningham every game. But, I mean, he's a legitimately good player, as much as we joke about it. Like, he's does a lot of things well. He's right now one of our maybe our truly best three-point, most consistent three-point shooter. He doesn't shoot a ton, but he's accurate when he does. Um, and he just does all the things, right? And you can expect something from him. But I, I have, like, the other thing is um, a, another big has emerged and, and truly locked down his position in, in Dylan Disu, who's had, you know, back-to-back double-digit games, 13 against West Virginia, and then uh, 12 in this one. Eight, eight rebounds, three steals, two blocks thrown out the stat sheet. And he's not doing it in, like, you know, 40-minute spurts, right? He did this again in 20 minutes. Like, it seems like Disu is going to give you 20 to 25 minutes of really efficient basketball, and then they will go. This one, they ended with small ball against Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, they, they could do that, right? They could put Brock at the five and play play small. And um, admittedly, I think the game probably ended and was over when, you know, reigning Big 12 player of the week, Avery Anderson the third fouled out for OSU. But actually, admit, I mean, to Boynton's credit, when they went to the, the press after that, um, they gave Texas a lot of trouble, and it, it, it actually kept the, the score a little bit close when, when otherwise, if they hadn't got a little tricky and created a couple turnovers and got some defensive stops out of it, uh, you know, it could have easily ballooned to a 20-point game. So um, Texas was clearly the better team on the night. Um, again, when, when with a few minutes left, Oklahoma State's best player fouled out. That was all but confirmed. But, I mean, Texas still has to go out and do it, right? Marcus Carr did it all game. Allen and Brock in the second half, um, you know, there are layers to this team, and it feels like we got a good a good showing for what we can expect. But Gerald, whew, looking forward, um, it must surely be be pretty easy, huh? Uh, what, what they have after this, since it's been tough so far. Them. Oh, and they also have number four Tennessee back uh, back sandwich before they get back into conference play. So they hit Tennessee on Saturday on the road, and then just a brutal close in the Big Twelve. Eight of eleven coming up against the top twenty, five of which are on the road. Which is just absolutely nuts. So after Tennessee, they've got home against Baylor, then at Kansas State, at Kansas, home against West Virginia, at Tech, yeah, um, home against OU, home against Iowa State, and then again Baylor, TCU, and Kansas to close out the regular season. There are again, this is going to be a five loss conference championship. I'm putting my my flag in the in the dirt right now. Yeah, I mean, look, the the uh, coming into the, tonight, the two most recent NCAA men's basketball champions, Baylor and Kansas, were both riding three-game conference losing streaks. Like, it's brutal out here, y'all. It's uh, it's tough. Those are both, you know, three seeds at worst, right? Like, probably two seeds or better who are struggling in conference. It's going to, it's going to hit Texas. It's going to be a a rough stretch. If Texas can come out of this, honestly, this, this closing, you know, 
stretch over 500, they've done something, right? Like, it's it's going to be brutal. There's a stretch in the middle of all those crazy games where they get the respite, and I say that with air quotes, of West Virginia at home at Tech um, and then OU at home. Those are still OU is a, is a Ken Palm top 40, West Virginia, a Ken Palm top 28 just outside of the top 25, right? Like, those are brutal games just because they're unranked in the polls teams. They could easily run off a streak of beating the other good teams in the conference and all be ranked. Like, it's just, it's a murderer's row and, and you get no letdown. And so it is crazy that this is Texas's, um, I believe, best start since the the number Absolutely one team in, in 2010, right? Texas. Through 20 games. They've only Every lost three. 17 and three through 20 games is as good as side of anyone things, could have expected, again, even with some lofty Vic expectations. Schaefer has this team peaking at the right Time. With back-to-back ranked wins a week ago, they kept it moving, uh, and number 25 women's basketball went to Waco and did something they haven't done for the first time since 2017, and that is get a win over the Baylor Bears, number 24, uh, in that one, a 68-55 to win, outscoring the Bears 44-33 to in the second half to get it done. Just a massive, massive W for Vic Schaefer. And the yeah, they, they got Baylor in the postseason last year. They have not uh, gone to Waco and done it in some time. Hopefully that's a new trend. They've won back-to-back games against Baylor. This is uh, I'm, I'm liking this. You can have your Kim Mulkey and uh, wherever LSU. This is much better. I love this version of Baylor. But no, this is still a good Baylor team. Don't get it wrong. And a team that we knew would be rebuilding a bit, but um, you know Texas has been up and down a little, and so this was a good matchup uh, of two teams who are vying for you know something uh, like a top twenty-five position and maybe more once they can kind of hold their footing there. They've both been a little bit in and out of the rankings this year. They both probably could end up in in the top twenty, you know, at the end. So it's a good win for sure. Um, Deanna Gaston continues to to sparkle in her role as kind of the the lead big um, stepping into that role in the the you know last. 10 plus games or so, uh, a double-double, 13 and 11. Rory Harmon does what she did, 13, six assists, six rebounds. Uh, Shayla Gonzalez, 13 as well, lucky number 13. Um, she had six rebounds, two blocks, two steals, just continuing her hot performance that uh, made her the U.S. BWA Player of the Week uh, last week, and also with 13, Sonia Morris with 13 and seven rebounds. I mean, this is not a shock to anybody that knows what Texas basketball or Vic Schaefer um, basketball team is or Texas basketball under Vic Schaefer, but like Texas is getting it done on the defensive side of the floor, right? Like that's really been the differentiator. They've really locked it down on defense. Uh, Taylor Jones had three blocks in this game against Baylor. Uh, Texas currently sits like top 10 ish mm-hmm. uh, in the nation in block. So again, uh, this is how Vic Schaefer wants to win basketball games. It's like dirty it up, ugly it up, uh, play defense, play gritty, like just, just outlast them. It's uh, I think about like a boxing match and just two heavyweights just throwing punches in the middle of the ring. Like that's exactly how Vic Schaefer wants to win this match. You just keep them close and and they'll wear them down. And that's what he's done and will continue to do. And and I, I hate to be and I actually don't hate to be, but like this is exactly where we thought Texas would be and where they need to be at this state of the season. We said it early in the non-conference um schedule when they struggled and fell out of the top 25. Like we you know Rory Harmon was hurt. Texas was not in where it needed to be. And when she came back, Texas is a different team. And we said it. They would heat up in conference play and start to accelerate into March. Well, it's time to start accelerating into March. We are seven days away from February. We are closing out and jumping into the second half of the, the conference season. So this is where Texas usually catches fire. And I don't think they're going to slow down. Yeah, and, and you're right about about the defense, right? There, there are a lot of steals averaging, you know, uh, most teams over, you know, uh, less than their season average. I think UConn is the only team that has scored their season average or higher against Texas. Um, every other team, Texas is held below their season average. It shows you what they want to do. Um, they steal, they force turnovers, they, they like Gerald said, dirty it up. Um, but on the offensive side of the ball, it is interesting because um, if you look at the, the, the top five scores, they had five players in double digits, the top five scores in this game, four of them were not starters last year. Um, Rory Harmon being the only one who, again, started as a freshman, now as a sophomore. Um, Deanna Gaston was on the team and was a good contributor, but again, with Aaliyah Moore's injury, has stepped up to be kind of the main uh, big. But Shayla Gonzalez, Sonia Morris, and Taylor Jones were the three transfers, and it has felt like one of them's had a game, and they haven't really had, you know, a Shaylee Gonzalez was the reigning player of the week, so don't take that, but haven't had where it's like two, three, four, five straight games from any one of them where, you know, they looked 
to to fit in the system and uh, still have their individual brilliance. So if all th- all f- uh, three of those transfers uh, are playing like this, kind of heading into February, uh, I think I think it bodes well for where they want to be. Right? They you know will will continue to use the players that uh, were on the team last year. They brought a lot of talent back, but really getting a lot from uh, from those three is in in you know gonna be invaluable down the stretch. Next up for Texas, back in action at the Moody Center. Another chance for a top 25 win, hosting number 15 Oklahoma Wednesday, the day you're listening to this. So check it out if you're in Austin, and definitely check it out if you're at home and have a chance to do so. So that's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. So we got to start with some big additions to the football team. And we'll start with uh, on the field, Texas got a couple of additions. The big one, the big name, there had been rumblings for most of the latter half of the season that a potentially big name from the SEC would pop into the portal. And Gerald, if you speak Hebrew, an exceptionally big name. Almost as big as it gets, but uh, A.D. Mitchell, you can look at what A.D. is short for, hit the transfer portal. He uh, was very short for the transfer portal and announced that he was going to join the Texas Longhorns, um, was a uh, was slotted to be the, the number one wide receiver for the Georgia Bulldogs, national championship winning Georgia Bulldogs, uh, was injured, dealt with some ankle, ankle injuries, um, but a 6'4 frame, big guy. Uh, fits into kind of that Isaiah Nayor type of spot as well for Texas. Um, had catches in all of the playoff games that, that Georgia has won in the last two, including two game winners. Like he is, uh, when you think about like top tier guys, and Texas has been very choosy in the transfer portal thus far. Like you think about guys like like uh, adding Jalen Catalan in the portal, right? Adding um, it's either like a it's either a have to have position or a have to have guy, and this is a have to have guy for Texas. Yeah, I mean, it, look, this this room in theory could be as talented as we've ever seen a wide receiver room at Texas. They had three top ten, um, top fifteen at least players in this class coming in. We know Jonte Cook is the type of receiver who could step in as a freshman and be a freshman All American. We know that. Um, they get Nayer back, who Gerald mentioned. In, in addition, you know, with with Ad Mitchell, you know, also as a potential, you know, bigger go route outside threat may really help, um, you know, Xavier Worthy run the routes that he's best suited for. doesn't have to just be deep balls, right, um, and, and be underneath. And, and again, don't forget Jordan Whittington um, is also coming back. We, we have guys who we thought were going to take a step up from, you know, being forced to play probably early, Casey Kane and, and, and Brennan Thompson, you know, Savion Red, guys who we thought would take a step up. This gives them, hopefully, they stick around and, and, and you know, there's no indication that they're not. They all want to compete, but uh, gives them a chance to, to play, and also learn and grow. And so by the time, you know, some of those guys were forced to play as freshmen, right, you get a year, maybe two years in the system, you know the routes, you know what Sark wants from his offense. Um, and, you know, I think there's there's weapons to be had. I just want to quickly say, though, A.D. Mitchell, while he has this, the height of, of a Nayor or even, you know, uh, some of the, the big body receivers of the past, Troy O'Meary comes to mind. I'm not comparing him to Sweet or, um, you know, uh, Roy Williams or someone like that, but uh, – he he has that height. He really is more of a smaller frame, quick feet guy. He's he's lanky. You know he, he he's still quick. He's almost like if it, you know Xavier Worthy just was standing on um, had some really really tall '70s platform shoes, like six inches ones. Um, but you know he he just is he's quick. There's actually I saw a video of them both running uh, the whip route, um, that one that we oohed and odd over over Worthy. And I would I would give Ad Mitchell's a a nine point nine if Worthy ran it at a ten. It was a beautiful route. Um, and again, you can't run that if you're not agile. You're not quick. Your feet aren't you know immensely quick. You're not a good route runner. Um, and I have as I've said a lot of family who are who are Georgia fans. We all saw the highlights. We saw him make the big plays and the big moments. We know he's a, a gamer and a playmaker. But um, what, what I heard and, and kind of followed up with um, talking to some folks who cover the Georgia team is that in addition to he has a quality that we love about Jordan Whittington and that he was probably their best blocking receiver in a team that is going to spread the ball to different running backs. You're going to get your tight ends underneath. Wide receivers at Georgia under that offense have to be able to block, and he was one of the best. So it's a willing blocker and a solid blocker to add to you know, a unit that really prides itself on that this past year under Brennan Marion, and I'm, I'm assuming will pride themselves on that going forward. So really, really nice fit, I think, um, and a huge get for Texas, right? You, you don't just 
take the the wide receiver one who's a junior and has won back-to-back national championships um, if you're a nobody, right? There are very few schools who we could have gone to. Uh, you don't just leave Georgia for nowhere. So it, it speaks well to Texas, and it, I think it also speaks well um, to where he thinks he can come in and, and contribute immediately. Yeah, I mean, it, very clear that Texas needs the guy that can run the go route that Sark wants to call, right? And uh, Xavier Worthy's not that guy. Like, yes, he needs to catch the balls and he should fight for the balls, but that's not necessarily what he's best at. And so having A.D. Mitchell in the in the hopper as a known commodity um with Isaiah Nayor coming back, like those are the two guys that you could rotate to run those go routes when you have guys underneath. And you think about now what Texas can put on the field with Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, um, uh, Nayor, or or uh, Mitchell, like and plus JT Sanders, right? Having four legit pass catchers on the field is going to do wonders for what Texas can do uh, offensively. A guy that might have a lot to say to do about that, uh, a name that's been rumored and tied to the job for a while, but his team finally lost in the NFL playoffs, uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, four. Former Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiver coach Chris Jackson was officially announced as the Texas Longhorns' new wide receiver coach, replacing Brendan Marion, who went to UNLV to replace uh, Bobby Petrino, who was there for about 16 minutes before leaving for Texas A&M. Yeah, interesting uh, trickle down economics there of, of football. It's it's interesting. I was I was looking at some of the responses um, to the original reporter who who kind of broke the tweet, and it seems like. Um, it was a more uh, NFL fan base and NFL reporter uh, who reported it. And so uh, you saw a lot of NFL fans and especially Jaguar fans responding. And I will say it's good that, um, you know, everyone pretty much was uh, was sad to see him go. Couldn't understand exactly why. Um, that's always a good sign. And, and there was a lot of disbelief generally of like, the same job at a college program? Like, what what's going on here? I think if you don't follow college football, you don't quite understand the size of um, UT football and, and with the salaries that they can pay as well, right? And, and so I think it's a really interesting opportunity if he wants um, to, you know, move up the coaching ladder as an offensive coordinator, as a head coach eventually, maybe as an interest at the college level. What we do know is that his receivers, you know, first of all, I think Doug Peterson is a fantastic coach and, and uh, they'll get a great replacement, but really – you know, was a great fit in there, but the, the Jags receivers caught almost 240 passes for just under 2,700 yards, 19 touchdowns in his one season there. Christian Kirk and Zay Jones had historic seasons. Um, the Jags social media is actually quite hilarious. They were just blasting people with the receipts from people saying how terrible the uh, the signings were um, that they, they went after Kirk and Zay Jones and some of their pass catchers just overrated, overpaid them, and they made them eat crow. And I, I mean, you can say that all of them just happened to have career years, or you can say that, you know, they were coached up, you know, in an incredible way. And I choose to believe uh, the latter. And, uh, you know, I think they'll be fine, right, without him there next year or whatever. But I do think he's going to, you know, where Texas has used this as a, a peer recruiting um, position sometimes in the past. And they've, you know, they've had guys like Andre Coleman who were supposed to be developers. I think what you're seeing here is a guy who's developed at the NFL level in a pretty astounding way, in a way that the entire league took notice, right? Um, so if you can do with that there, just imagine what you can do with the room we just talked about with those, you know, three incredibly talented incoming freshmen with A.D. Mitchell, you know, coming in and, and surely maybe there was some whispering that this uh, move was already happening because, um, uh, you know, you, you probably want to know who your coach is, but um, coming in and, and knowing that he wants to play for a guy who's, you know, as good as he got at the next level, coaching that position, um, you know, Xavier with Isaiah Nair, there's just a lot to mold here. And so it's got to be a really intriguing both ways, right? A really great hire, but also a really intriguing room to come in if you're going to go to the college level with just so much talent, eight deep of guys, as we just talked about, who can really do something. So I love the hire. Um, I, you know, I know people can be skeptical about different things, but I don't really know what there isn't to like here other than the fact that the Jags went deeper in the playoffs than some thought, and so it took a little bit to announce it. Um, but here we are. Um, the, the old non-denial denial came through in the clutch, and, uh, you know, he, he has been now officially announced and uh, excited to see him get on campus. Yeah, we talk about it all the time when we talk about position coaches. Like, there are guys who are recruiters, there are guys who are developers, and there's very few that are elite at both, right? Texas actually has one of them on staff already in Kyle Flood, but I think at a point you have to, like, there's plenty of talent in the cupboard for this guy to work with. And so he's got an NFL caliber and an NFL pedigree of developing wide receivers. And so I think that's what Texas needs right now. And the thing with where Texas is at right now is that the brand 
the Texas brand has already recruited itself. It's already done that so well. And yes, Brendan Marion was a very charismatic recruiter, and he's the reason why Texas was able to land some of the kids this year. But the momentum from recruiting, if they can put it together on the field, then it gets a little bit easier for these guys to recruit, right? And having a guy walk in and show with skins on the wall, not skins and not college skins, high school skins, but NFL skins on the wall does wonders for recruiting. Keeping it in the recruiting realm. Texas had to replace Chris Gilbert, and they did it. And they kind of swung for the fences a little bit, uh, announcing Austin native Jamal Fenner as the director of high school relations, again, replacing Chris Gilbert, who's now a position coach at UNT. He spent the last five seasons as the athletic coordinator and head coach at LBJ High School in Austin. Uh, Took him to a state title game, which was the first Austin ISD school to do so in 47 years. Um, A lot of folks wanted someone with Dallas ties and things like that. And I understand the need for that. Texas has gotten murdered in Dallas in in several years past, and and that was part of why Texas hired Chris Gilbert. But part of what they hired Chris Gilbert was really just to, like, reopen the doors that Tom Herman shut in Dallas. And now that they're there, uh, it's really about maintaining those relationships. And Jamal Fenner, you know, we'll we'll have Mike Roach on in a couple weeks, and I'm going to ask him about it. But from everything I've read and everything I've seen, like, he is a highly respected guy, not just in the Austin area, not just in Sentex, but all around the state. Yeah, and I think from what I heard when Gilbert gave his list of these are some good high school guys to know, uh, Fenner was near the top of that list of, of you know, and, and it just made sense, to, the Austin guy. Also, the theme of the week is hiring Jaguars, right? That's the Austin LBJ Jaguars, as well as the NFL Jaguars. So uh, I guess it's a, it's a theme week. Um, you know, he's not unknown to the entire staff either. He actually played at UTEP. Um, where he holds some some records there as a special teams, especially he played cornerback. I think he had, you know, one season had like five or six interceptions as well. But um, he uh, he was a punt returner, kick returner, and holds a lot of returning records there under a young special teams coach uh, named Jeff Banks uh, at, at UTEP back in the day. So um, yeah, I think I think he's going to be really. Uh, really good hire um, just because the, the Austin and Central Texas generally uh, probably deserves some love and, and it'll be interesting to uh, to have a little different angle on things and uh, I, I'm excited uh, for for him for the opportunity and for you know Austin uh, head coaches who are Austin residents who are now going to coach at the college in Austin I think it's really cool um, and, and love to see the chance for him. I will say a lot of the wide receivers that Texas has missed on as of late were not Dallas kids. They were Austin kids. I'm just throwing that out there, putting it out there in the ether for you to chew on. Another addition, last one we'll talk about today, uh, Texas landed preferred walk-on in the 2023 class, Ian Ratliff, a punter, Texas carrying two punters for the foreseeable future, joining Stanford transfer Ryan Sanborn, who has one year of eligibility, Texas, will likely carry two punters unless they land a kicker that can do both. Yeah, and I mean, he he had offers from some other schools. He was rated as the number 24 punter in this class, so I just love to see Banks getting, you know, you saw what he did with Machete as like a last-minute, oh, no, we need a, a stopgap, and was able to get a guy who's perfectly serviceable, and at times very good, you know, times okay, um, but just didn't have the natural leg, I think. Um, Sanborn will give hopefully the opportunity to bring that experience where we won't have to see a stopgap measure and Ratliff can be, uh, you know, a potential guy who, who comes in down the line if he can develop or again, at least like Gerald said, depth to have a guy so you don't have to hold open tryouts when uh, someone has an unfortunate injury or gets a case of the uh, the pro kick Australia uh, shrimp on the Barbie uh, barbecue sauce coated fumble fingers, um, as we saw um, from a few of our Australian punters trying to catch uh, egg shaped footballs. I was I was a huge fan of, of of Isaac Same. coming in like huge huge fan obviously he came on our podcast and we like saw, sought him out um but uh, Texas I mean carrying two punters is kind of the necessity at this point because Texas needed that insurance and they got it going uh so he'll be part of the 2023 class will join in the fall excited to see him on campus number one and number 13 women's track and men's track respectively uh put up some numbers at the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Invitational on Saturday, Julian Alfred, we're running out of superlatives mm. for her, but she set the NCAA indoor record in the 60 meter running the top running a top three fastest time ever 
in the 60 meters, uh, 60 meter dash. Just absolutely incredible she, performance. She shattered track athlete of the week for that. That's right. The, the, that's the USTFCCA track athlete of the week. She shattered a 60 meter record held by another really fast runner. Julian Alfred. Um, she she holds the top three times, in fact, Gerald. So she broke her two fastest times with this one. Um, something in the water in Albuquerque. There were some fast times put up all over the place. Imagine being able to say the only person faster than me is me, right? Like, it's just just, it's beautiful. Uh, Rasadat Adeleke posted a world-leading 200-meter time. Marcellus Moore posted a personal best to win the men's 200, the number two performer in school history behind 10-time All-American uh, Makaya Harris, who we talked about ad nauseum on this podcast. Uh, Kennedy Simon recorded the fifth fastest performance in NCAA history in the 600. Jonathan Jones, my man, put up a second-place finish in the 600. Uh, Yusuf Bismana placed just behind him at third. Both of those were top 20 all-time, so like it wasn't like a a, a uh, it's never bad to finish second, but like when you're running a top 20 time uh, and you finish second, not bad. It's a big, big weekend on the track, in, inside indoor track for the Longhorns. That's right. And just one more thing Coach Flo always talked about as a, a you know master of coaching the jumps. Usually that means triple and long. Uh, but it looks like Texas got themselves a high jumper over here. Sophomore Sam Hurley got a win in the high jump as well. So we'll be, as you have to do always with Flo, men's and women's side, watching the jumps as well as the uh, the sprints. So uh, excited. Sam Hurley's a name we'll keep an eye on. Texas back in action this weekend, or I guess starting on Wednesday, uh, January 26th through 28th, uh, when All-American Leah Nugmauer and uh, Christine Blazavica go to Lubbock for some reason for the Texas Tech Open and Multi. So the distance squad uh, will then head to Boston for the Boston Terrier Classic this weekend. Number one, women's tennis. Goes 3-0 on the weekend with two sweeps Friday. They swept North Texas Saturday. They beat SMU 5-2. And Sunday, they swept Tulane. On the men's side, they swept UTSA in the, in the home opener. And then down uh, UGA 4-3. Big weekend on the hard surface for the tennis teams. Yeah, women's tennis just looks really better than everyone who goes up against them. Uh, you know, it, again... I, not surprised, but surprised. You don't lose, I said it last week, a Peyton Stearns and come back and be this dominant. But so far, they're this dominant. We'll see. There's long year. But the men's tennis team looking maybe better than expected. They beat a good Georgia team. Um, they beat, uh, you know, the UTSA has the number seven ranked doubles pair. They, they took them down. And then the Georgia one, um, they they had uh, all three of the, the, the top three uh, singles they won, including two of her top 10 foes, including Elliot Spaziri taking down the number one ranked player. That's the second time Texas has taken down the number one ranked player. Just rank all the Texas players number one by God, or we'll keep taking them down. Um, the Horns start 3-0 and with, again, like I said, two top 15 wins to open this season. This is... Uh, this is a really good start for both of these teams, and and you know we, we talked a little Directors Cup. These things matter. Next up for the ladies, they've got Fresno State and Baylor this weekend at the ITA kickoff weekend in Austin. While the men will host Cal in Arizona on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, respectively. All right, Joe. Let's take a look now at the world through some burnt orange lenses. We'll start on the NFL playoffs. I think we have a you know a streak. There's there's graphics that say you know I don't remember what school it was that that said we've had a, a an athlete in the Super Bowl every single year except this year, this year, this year. I think that was Penn State who tweeted that except and, and put the years, which is a sad way to do it. But what we do know is Texas has a long streak of having a at least one player in the Super Bowl um, dating back over a decade. So we're hoping to keep that thing going um, and. Here are the players who are still alive. Cincinnati Bengals got a uh, got a win this week over Buffalo. I think some people called that a, a pretty big upset. But if you're a real head, you knew Joseph Osai and uh, the lesser Joe Burrow would uh, would would make some things happen. Osai himself had one solo tackle, one quarterback hurry, one pass deflection. They take on the very good Kansas City Chiefs um, on CBS. Uh, so that will be a tough one. That will be one of the options to get. A, uh, a Longhorn in the in the Super Bowl. One Longhorn who won't be there uh, is Marcus Johnson. The New York Giants falling uh, thirty-eight to seven to the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Johnson himself had a catch, seventeen yards, but a good season, overachieving I think for for the Giants. Colin Johnson will join uh, Marcus Johnson next year uh, on that receiving core. Um, and then um, 
guess the team with the most Longhorns to talk about, uh, head coach Kyle Shanahan, injured reserve defensive tackle Hassan Ridgeway, and then defensive lineman Chuck Amenahu. Um Got a win over Dallas. Sorry, Cowboys fans. If you were, you know, rooting for the Cowboys, you were wrong because we were rooting for Longhorns first, and Longhorns did not have any uh, players on the Cowboys. But um, and the only player who, who played on the field uh, for the 49ers with Ridgeway injured was Chuck Omeni, who had a quarterback hurry in this one. Shanahan's 49ers will take on the Philadelphia Eagles on Fox uh, on Sunday. In the pool, uh, Carol Capitani was slated to lead the USA Women's <coughs> Swimming uh, at the 2023 World Championships, where she'll be uh, the head coach of the U.S. Women's National Team in Fukuoka, Japan, July 14th through 30th. Free trip to Japan sounds awesome. Getting to coach your national team in your preferred sport also sounds awesome. She's twice served as the head coach in the 2013 Mutual of Omaha Duel in the pool in the 2017 World University Games. This is a little bit bigger, of course, at the World Championship. So really awesome for for Coach Capitani. If you need a U.S. national team swimming coach, you come to Austin, right? Whether it used to just be Eddie Reese, now it's on the lady side as well. So uh, glad to see um, real recognized real, which is the U.S. Swimming Federation, recognizing that Austin's the only place to find a good coach. All right, Gerald, so since we're in throes of, of championship season in the spring semester, um, we have a few, as we just talked about, that have uh, kicked off, but we have a couple to look ahead to. Um, we have a T-minus, like, two to three weeks for a lot of these. Uh, just because they had such an incredible year last year, I'm starting with softball, 17 days uh, until softball kicks off. They're currently number 14. Opening weekend, they'll have five games in Florida at the NFCA Division I leadoff classic, four of those five against top 25 teams. They were voted uh, preseason number three in the Big 12, of course, number 14 in the nation, but you know the Big 12 is just stacked. Um, OU looking really good again. Oklahoma State really good. When we talked about the three best teams at the end of the tournament last year, OU, Oklahoma State, Texas were basically the three fighting for a national title. So, um the Big 12, at the very top at least, is a softball powerhouse, and I love that Texas is squarely in that. 14, that's a great place to start, right in the middle. They lost some some players, brought some back, um, but a, a good, healthy start. We'll, we'll, of course, give a you know a little recap and, and uh, take a look at that team in a couple weeks here as they get ready to kick off. But just one piece of news, Mia Scott uh, was the only Longhorn uh, named. It was seven, uh, seven OU players, two Oklahoma State players, and then I think... Longhorns had one, and maybe two other teams had one. Um, so dominated, of course, as softball has been by OU. But Mia Scott was not only on the preseason All-Big 12, but unanimous preseason All-Big 12. So big season hoping for her. Having to fill the shoes of a team replacing a player like Janae Jefferson is hard to do. Some great pitching they're replacing. But uh, Mia Scott, who was a freshman phenom last year, will look to grow on that and have a great 2023 campaign. I mean... The Big 12, another, softball is just another way, uh, sport that the Big 12 is just an absolute ball of knives. It's just nuts. Yeah, no doubt about that. And in, in baseball, they're, they're not quite as good all the way down as basketball or as utterly elite at the top as softball, but it's still a really good baseball conference where anyone can beat anyone any given week, and there is some high-end talent, and there could be probably as many as four teams that end up you know, being better at the end of the year than they rank in the beginning. There's, you know... Unfortunately, Tech and TCU and some teams that are, that have been good. Oklahoma State looks to be good again uh, for sure this year, but we'll see where a couple other teams lie. But one team that, you know, probably the most interestingly ranked team in the country is Texas. Um, uh, you know, many publications, you, you want the team that is the furthest delta from where they were last year or where you would expect them to be. It's like if Alabama started in the receiving votes. Um, Texas in both major polls was not ranked. They are in receiving votes. And I, I find that really interesting, right? There's an alumni game coming up next week or week, yeah, next uh, weekend, I believe the fourth on Saturday, um, that will, you know, will, will be the last chance to, to warm up before the actual season. But they hit the ground running against Arkansas in Arlington um, and, and some other good teams in that one. So they don't have a lot of room to wiggle and to figure things out. Um, but, you know, where previous seasons, they've had incredibly lofty expectations. They've been number one. Um, this season, it feels a little different as they replace Ivan Melendez. Uh, Maybe, Gerald, 
to give writers some slack? Did they forget Tanner Witt is, is coming back? I don't know. I don't know uh, how you how you don't at least throw a 25 in there for the Longhorns. Give them a number, but maybe just a little added chip on Coach Pierce's shoulder. I mean, motivation, right? The whole hood love me to say that I'm their motivation. That's <laughs> I think Texas needs some – you don't need some bullets and more material after last year, but I think – um, giving this team something to play with, giving this team some attitude, never a bad thing. So I think um, I don't see this as a rebuild. I see it more as a reload. It might not be, it might not look as top end as it did last year, but um, we'll obviously dive in more. Um, whether it's on this podcast feed or the next, we'll do a, a baseball preview for you. But um, I don't necessarily see this team being um, not good this year. I agree with you, Gerald. They're going to be young, but I think they will be good. 24 days before we'll find out with some real baseball there for that one. A, a much shorter time frame. Uh, the men's golf team will be opening their season this weekend at the Southwestern Invitational in Westlake, California. That's a top 10 squad there. The reigning national champions, of course, um, opening that season. And then the women's golf team uh, will start a little bit after that um, in uh, the second week uh, of February the 12th, to be exact, uh, at the Northrop Grumman Regional in Palo Verde, California. So both uh, both teams getting a nice winter California trip to uh, to start the season, and both teams um, good but uneven uh, fall semesters, hoping to improve and, and come out strong with some new additions for, for both teams with transfers and uh, early enrollees. Uh, so it'll be an interesting, interesting squad, uh, both men's and women's, to see how they start the year off closing it out uh outdoor track after we're talking about the indoor season hopefully after defending some national championship hardware there um we'll start the outdoor season at the beginning of march and then what you've all been waiting for the number one rowing will kick off the season most dominant team on campus it is true it is true the the true dynasty uh number one rowing the uh coast to coast pole to pole number one squad last year never gave that up starts this year where else but number one, and starts the season two months from now on the 10th of March. Texas rowing is what Texas football fans want Texas football to be, and I think it's an unrealistic standard. So it's incredible that this these uh, absolutely incredible athletes have, have done that. Yeah, the uh, Dave O'Neill's the Eddie Reese on, on – uh, Outdoor water. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, can't say water because that doesn't work. Uh, on, on outdoor water. Um, all right, Gerald. A little time for Godzilla Tron. What have you been watching on your giant screen? Uh, so it was actually a, a, a mixed media week for me. So I haven't given you the last two updates on Family Night Pizza Night Movie Night. So we did Matilda the Musical on Netflix, which was good, but... My kids got bored. I think it was a little a little older than what my kids probably need. But if you got like tweens, I think they would enjoy it. The Bad Guys on Netflix, huge hit with the kids. If you don't know what The Bad Guys is, uh, it's about animals that are perceived to be bad guys. So it's like a wolf, a spider, a snake, a piranha. Um, they're criminals. And they're it, – it's – this is the, it's going to sound weird, but this is my pitch. It's like Ocean's Eleven with animals. It's super fun. Mm. It's a ton of fun, a really fun little family caper that you can watch. Um, I really enjoyed it. My two-year-old, he doesn't ask for a lot of things by name, but he says bad guys like he wants to watch the <laughs> bad guys. So we enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. Uh, Vox Machina is back on Amazon. If you're into um, like fantasy and animation, then you'll enjoy that. The Last of Us on HBO, we watched the first episode. I ha don't have it in me, honestly, to watch it second episode yet um I, i'll say it like this i knew what was coming and i still wasn't prepared for it like if you don't know the opening of, of the last of us is an absolute heartbreaker um it's tense and it's just absolutely brutal um but so good like pedro pascal is just like the best thing one of the best things on two legs right now and then bella ramsey um, making her return to HBO. You may know her better as Liana Mormont, uh, making her return to HBO as um, Ellie. Just it's uh, We're enjoying it. My wife is enjoying it. It was not, um, not an easy watch. It is very, very bleak. Um, I will say that like The Last of Us is like the road. Like the Cormac McCarthy. If Cormac McCarthy made video <laughs> games, it would be The Last okay. of Us. Um, but the show is great. It's really well acted, really well done. Uh, really good world building, and I enjoy it. And then I told you a few weeks ago, I'm like leaning in, not leaning out of my nerdiness. And so uh, my wife is a big reader. She's a big reader, and I suck at reading. I've got ADHD, and I get distracted. Uh, but I was like, I need, I want to read something physical. And so I went to the library and checked out some uh, some graphic novels. I checked out some some. Nice. Uh, 
uh, novel length comic books. And so I, I'm doing that. And I've dove into a couple of them. Uh, Once in Future, it is about um, trying to stop zombie King Arthur is the best way I can say it. Like Ooh. it's, it's, they, they, some some British nationalists try to raise King Arthur from the dead, and some monster hunters try to stop him. It's actually really, really fun. It's kind of a romp. Uh, Netflix owns the rights to it, so I hope they do it, because it would be really, really cool. Um, and then Killer Be Killed is a little more intense, but it's about um, someone who, uh, his, his life is saved by mysterious um, mysterious otherworldly benefactors. He's got to figure out uh, why and how and how to get out of this deal that he didn't even mean to make. So that's where I'm at. Gerald, my only notes... Um for you are uh i can't believe on this of all weeks you watched a show called vox machina but um it's fine uh <laughs> gerald have you seen uh you probably see more animated stuff than i do with the sake of having kids but this one feels like it's a slightly older movie and not intended for kids have you seen turning red it is a little above my 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 kids age bracket right it's, now. it's fair enough but have you so you haven't seen it i have not seen it uh, okay yet, here's no. what i'll say um I didn't know that this was controversial until afterwards, and I, I guess I understand maybe the idea of where people are coming from. I don't understand it. It's it's, it's completely silly. Um, but just watching it, it was such an interesting and, and fun hang. I mean, it's, it's about a 13-year-old girl basically who is going through puberty, right? It's called Turning Red. I'll, I'll leave to whatever imagination you want. But she, uh, as she's going through a change of life in adolescence, she finds out when she gets too excited, she transforms into a giant red panda. Um, and it's a struggle between a mother and a daughter. And it's a, um, you know, there's obviously Mulan, but I feel like it's, it's, or maybe I'm forgetting something, surely, but it's a one of uh, Disney's kind of deepest dives into Asian culture, Asian American, Asian Canadian, I guess, is this a set in Toronto? Um, Asian North American, I should say. Uh, culture, <laughs> it, I don't know. I found it really interesting. I thought it was well done. It was uh, inclusive and, and done with a soft touch. And um, I don't have daughters, but I imagine it must be a, a really, you know, kind of important uh maybe the most important phase of life as you go through this transition, you become uh, a young woman and just how interesting and difficult. And it was watching it with my wife. She had an entirely different reaction of like feeling seen. And there's like a, you know, they, it's set in like 2000 when this person's 13 and they love a NSYNC style boy band. And again, it was like written about my wife and just like the goofiness and awkwardness of a 13 year old. Like she was like feeling seen in that moment. Um, but yeah, it was, she was very touched and moved by it even more than I was to go through it. So I would recommend it. Highly for anyone who has children of that age, anyone who just likes a good kind of touching um, animated film. Um, there's nothing I could really um, think about it that why I wouldn't recommend it. And I have loved Sim Red. I love Coco. Um, I, I, you know, I think there have been some really phenomenal, like, you know, uh, Moana, like some really deep uh, uh films that have come out from Disney and Pixar that I think uh, don't get enough credit just because they're animated for being like really great stories. And I thought, I thought turning red was really unique and interesting and great. Um, and so I would recommend it very highly. Disney leaning into generational and parental trauma as a uh, plot device. I wonder what, uh, who, who's writing Disney movies now. Just throwing that I out know there. someone who works as an animator. I don't know who's writing it, but I, I can guess. Um, so on the other end of the spectrum, a film that hasn't aged quite as well. I watched Disney original movie Smart House, um, which was kind of hilarious, kind of haunting. Um, it was in 1999, and watching them try to predict, well, let's call it 24 years in the future, whatever, right? Trying to predict where technology might be in 2023 is funny. There are some things that like, oh, that's an Apple Watch, or like, oh yeah, that's your your Google Home. Like it's, you know, it was like, oh yeah, we, we actually live in, in a smart house. Uh, but it was also like cringy as anything will be. And it was funny just to look back at 1999's version of the internet. Um, and it also featured, if you're not familiar with this, uh, again, sorry for spoilers, it's 24 years old. Um, but uh, Katie, uh, is it is it Seagal, I believe is how you say it. The yeah. um, you know, some might know her as Peggy Bundy from Marrying Children. Probably Gerald will know her as Leela in Futurama. Um, but she's uh, she's been in, in some of your favorite shows, uh, a very distinguishable face. She played the computer system come to life, spoiler alert, um, of the smart house. It's like 
cringy and terrible and awful, but it was kind of a hilarious watch in that way, like the same way that Gerald and I both love um, the the holiday movie Thanks Killing. Um, you know, it's it's so bad that it's good, and I don't think it was bad in 1999. It's just uh, you know it is it is aged into that. But so yeah, I watched that, and then I I finally got back to finishing. I just finished season three of Atlanta. I need to finish season four. Um, really interesting, really weird move where they basically. Uh, every other episode don't feature the cast. I think some people hated that from what I've put together. Uh, I still thought it was a really like Atlanta season of television. No one else can do what they do. The stories that didn't feature the main cast were really well done. They like the, you know, there was episodes that were basically like a Black Mirror, you know, bottle episode that, you know, would fit into that world very well. A little dystopian. There was some like really dark humor. Um, the episode about potential reparations, the episode about, um, the the white passing and white identifying mixed race uh, guy who's um, too big of a fan of um, violent video games. There's some really interesting just like storylines um, <laughs> that like it was more like, <laughs> oh, look at that nice like slow burn than like just pure guffaw laughter um, in those episodes. But they were interesting. I could see why people may not like it, but I liked it. I mean, it's such a great show and I'm I've kind of been slow playing it because I hate that once I have 10 more episodes or whatever and I'm done with season four that it's done and I don't want that to be the case because it's the most unique show that I've seen in this era of television and, and maybe even the last I don't know um, so it, it, I don't want it to be over but I understand that it is my duty to uh, to get through it but so season three done we'll have a season four Atlanta report soon enough that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I am banging the drum on one of the best traditions on the 40 Acres, Bevo, of course, that giant, beautiful steer. Um, happy birthday, Bevo. Um, my favorite storyline to emerge in 2022 may have been the burgeoning love of romance, potential Longhorn Network buddy cop spinoff of Jordan Whittington and Bevo being best friends. If you were to tell me that there's at least 20%, if not as much as 70% of Whittington's decision to come back to school for another year was so he could hang with Bevo, I would believe it. Um, and for that, you know, what a recruiter, what a recruiter, what a legend, what a side of beef, what a uh, what an absolute iconic mascot and look right we just landed a georgia bulldog it's bevo's birthday we know that georgia and texas because of ad mitchell are going to be linked why not why the heck not meet back up in the postseason with georgia next year why the heck not uh why not us why not bevo why not ad mitchell we have a georgia bulldog on our team now we just need to go scare their still beloved but you know Obviously, more weak bulldog mascot. I respect it so stinking much. I'm banging the drum this week on fake social medias, and if you didn't know, if you didn't see this, uh, there was a fake LinkedIn account made for Arch Manning, which honestly kind of fit Arch Manning's aesthetic and in, in his uh, fit Arch Manning's aesthetic and his kind of vibe. Uh, but come to find out. Instagram stories are the only social media you can trust for Arch Manning, which is even funnier. Let's just be really real. Like, it's just the silliest thing. Anywho, so he confirmed via his Instagram story that uh, the LinkedIn Arch Manning was not him. But it is one of the better fake uh, social media accounts that I can see. They just had the right vibe, talking about all the right things. Just impressive. But people are weird. You got too much time on your hands. Get it together. I think I, while it existed, it has been deleted. I just confirmed. I think while it existed, I actually followed it because it's cool. I'm on LinkedIn all day. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm in LinkedIn on my hours when I'm not working for my bosses who listen to this. Um, but uh, I'm on LinkedIn for work purposes. And so now I get to see Arch Manning. I'll give him a, uh, a follow and a friend request on LinkedIn and come to find out I had been bamboozled in the, the most, you know, just uh, milk toast way, right? A seemingly real post that didn't say anything crazy except i love texas it's been great i've learned so much in this time that i've been here blah 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 like it was just a very sweet generic message that they so they trolled Perfect. us all with so good on you whoever uh you know uh, in your in your dockers and uh in boat shoes who just put out the the gentlest burn you got us 
And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer, another former entity of Vox Media, um, at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Director's Cup starts now.